You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Would you do me a favor? Turn in your Bibles to a text that we're going to be in in about 15 minutes into the message, about halfway through 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you'll get comfortable there, I'll, I'll, I'll be in that text in just a moment. But before that, I want to introduce a brand new sermon series. We're coming out of our discipleship series, and we're talking this morning and for the next few weeks on this subject, When God Shows Up. And the subtitle is Desiring a Greater Experience of God's Presence. Now, to introduce the series, I want to give a testimony. I'll not give this testimony every service, but I need to give it now because this is, this is how this series came about. There's a, there's a story behind this particular series. It begins, really, in our staff meeting. Uh, we have a staff meeting every Monday morning at about 11.45. In that staff meeting, we gather with 12 of our pastor leaders, including our Spanish pastor, who is doing a phenomenal job three blocks down the road in our Spanish church uh, building. And he meets with us, along with a lot of guys behind the scenes that you may never see on a Sunday, but they're behind the scenes, working in areas uh, on Sunday as leaders here and throughout the week as leaders and pastors. In that meeting, uh, there's been generally a, a unusual statements that are, that are being made and ha- have really gathered some, some momentum over the last, really since the first of the year. Statements like, you know, um, you know it really seems like God is, is, is just doing something kind of special. Uh, and really, honestly, when, when that first was being said, it was, it was like, kind of, yeah, maybe, you know, or, or, or we've seen some of this before, you know, some of these things, but, but it was like an elephant in the room. Nobody was really pointing it out. No, no, nobody was getting specific. It was just kind of, I'm, I'm trying to interpret the, the attitude of the staff has been just like, boy, it's really Pretty cool to see what God's doing, isn't it? Does anybody else agree? And, and that kind of a thing. And sometimes everybody raised their hand. Sometimes you'd have a bewildered look on your face like, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure. So about a month ago, God, I think, just sealed it in my heart that there is a difference between God being here and notice, notice how I'm, I'm saying it this time, and, and God being And so, I began to study the scriptures and came to this this title to a series, When God Shows Up. And then this week in my office, I had a meeting with a gentleman who said to me randomly, out of nowhere, he just said, Pastor, I know this is not what we're talking about, but I just want you to know, my wife and I have been talking lately. I don't know how you feel about this. Maybe we're the only ones, but I just wanted you to know, Pastor, that We've never enjoyed church more than we do right now. I mean, we just want you to know God is doing something really special. I mean, maybe it's just us. And I looked at him and I said, no, it's me and my wife too. And I think it's a few others. And and I don't know how many of you are connecting with this, but if you're not, it's okay. That's the purpose of the message. I really want to connect you with this idea of God showing up, his presence showing up. And is there a difference between the fact that God is here and a very special manifestation of his presence in this place. I think we all accept the truth that God is everywhere, but sometimes 
It seems like he doesn't show up in our lives. So what does that look like? Now, I had a preacher years ago that used to come here and preach, and he used to say this. In the middle of his message, or maybe in the beginning of his message, he would say, hang on, I'm going somewhere. So I want to just borrow that from him. Hang on, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So as, as we begin the message, I want to give you the twofold purpose of the series. The, the first purpose of the series is to help us to understand why God seems so distant at times. And he does, and he is. I mean, at times, uh, we just sang the song Waymaker. Even when I don't feel it, right? Has anybody ever been there? I mean, you just don't sense and feel the presence of God. You kind of wonder if he even hears your prayers. Does he really hear, uh, understand what I'm going through? Is God there? And he is distant, and there could be a, a reason why we feel that way. The second purpose of this series is to learn what we can do to solve that situation or what we can do to promote, not just solve it, not just answer it, but to promote a greater experience of God's presence. What can we do? Do we have anything to do with that? And if we do, what is it that we can do to promote, to create, to desire something greater? something more of God's presence. Thus the series, When God Shows Up. And so I want to start by just kind of giving you the sermon series title. You've already got it there. God shows up when I'm, does anybody see it? When I'm weak. God shows up when I am weak. And I want to start in Psalm chapter 139. Before I do, I want to give you the six, the first thought of six important thoughts that I'm going to give you today that's going to illustrate this idea that God shows up when I'm weak. And the very first thought is this, and it's in your notes, God's presence, or rather divine presence, God is everywhere. I want to make sure that I have no doubters in here that I'm speaking heresy or that I'm insinuating that God only shows up some Sundays and other Sundays he's not here. No, let's understand, first of all, right out of the gates in this series, God's everywhere. Divine presence. Look at Psalm 139 on the screen. David was trying to get away from God. He was doing everything he could to get away from God, and he was having a very hard time doing it. Notice the text. Where shall I go from your spirit, David says? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you are there. You are there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me. Even there your right hand shall hold me. David was simply saying it doesn't matter where I go or what I try, I can't get away from God. I can't get away from him. God is everywhere. His eyes see all we do. His His ears hear all we say. He knows our every thought and desires better for us than we could ever desire for ourselves. So my first question to you this morning of maybe several is this. Do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that God is here? Not just this thought that, you know, yeah, I mean, I study about God. I'm learning about God. I read about God in the Bible. I mean, I can kind of see him in the Bible. And I know he's somewhere up on, uh, is it Pluto? Or what, what's, what, what, what planet is God on? He's out there somewhere. He, he's, he's here. 
He's in this building. He, he is with us. I love this text in Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? And so God actually, specifically, spatially is everywhere, and we are continuously in his presence. Divine presence, God is everywhere. Well, that's not my problem, preacher. I, I, I believe that. My problem, preacher, is this, that it seems like when I need him most, I miss him. It seems like when I really need God to show up, I, that's when I just can't find him. When I struggle. Maybe when I fall and, and, and have a hard time getting back up, not physically, just spiritually. Maybe when I'm going through a hard time with my health or finances. That, it's just in, sometimes in those moments, I just can't seem to find God. Well, that leads me to my second thought, and that is this. Human pride, we often miss God's presence in our lives. We miss his presence in our lives because of our sin nature and our pride, human pride. Get this. Pride is the complete state of anti-God. It's what it is, exactly what it is. It is everything that is anti-God. No matter how desperately we need God to show up in our lives, he will not show up in our lives as long as he sees within our heart an elevated opinion, that's the next note, an elevated opinion of ourselves. Let me read that again while you're looking at it and filling it out. No matter how desperately we need God to show up in our lives, he will not show up. We're talking about when God shows up. God is not going to show up as long as we have an elevated opinion of ourselves. Here is my second question, and I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand early on this one so that nobody feels embarrassed. How many of you have ever had an elevated opinion of yourself? Thank you. I'm here. I'm with you. By the way, we're going to get to that in just a minute, but admitting things is part of Inviting God's greater presence into your life. It's just, it's just admitting. I, I struggle sometimes with an elevated opinion of myself. Human pride is the cancer of the soul. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. I have a quote in your notes. You'll notice it. C.S. Lewis said this, that a proud man is always looking down on things, and he's always looking down on people. And of course, it only makes common sense that as long as you're looking down, you can't see someone above you. As long as you're looking down on, well, look at that loser. Look, Man, I may have problems, but look at that one. That's got a whole lot more problems than I've got, I tell you what, you know. And we begin to look down on people, and that prevents us from looking up to see Jesus. One illustration of a prideful heart in the Old Testament was found in Genesis chapter 28. The man's name was Jacob. It's his story. He was Abraham's grandson, and many of you are familiar with Jacob, at least in the sense that he was deceitful, and he actually stole the blessing and the birthright that really belonged to him. He stole that from his brother. 
And so Jacob, here in the text I'm going to read to you, he's actually out wife shopping, and God all of a sudden appears to him in a dream. So kind of get the setting. He's out looking for a woman, looking for a wife, and God appears to him in a dream, and here's what God says. Jacob leaves Beersheba, goes towards Haran. He comes to a certain place and stays there that night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of that place. He put it under his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. And he has this dream. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is crazy, isn't it? And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in your offspring you shall, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, behold, I am with you, Jacob, and I'll keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awakes out of this sleep he awakes out of this stream and the first words out of jacob's mouth are this surely the lord is in this place and i didn't know it i missed it now that's an incredible moment that god is trying to bring about in every believer's life that moment right there That through the painful experiences of life, we become aware of the fact that God is in this place. God is in my life, and sometimes I miss him, and I don't know it. And so we see here in this text that God is trying to get our attention. And so now we transition to the text I have before you in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 to answer this question, how does God then bring us to a place of a greater manifestation of his presence? How do we get to that place? If God is working at Gospel Light in a special way, why is he doing it? What, what could be happening in our church? Are there pockets of this thing I'm saying, God shows up when I'm weak, Could it be that there are people in our church that are really understanding that in their weakness they can become strong, that it is not in the strength of our our pride or ourselves or our talents or our giftings? It's not the fact that we can hide our weaknesses and hide our sins and, and look as if we're playing the part and do the religiosity thing and the churchosity thing and just kind of walk around like everything's cool, or is it really better just to be a church that's just... Openly transparent about the fact that without God, I'm nothing. So how does God show up? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is is where we're going to go. And I'm going to give you my third thought. Are you ready? Here it is. Number one, divine presence. God is everywhere. Human pride. We often miss God's presence. Number three, divine provision. It's often a thorn in the flesh. God's provision is often a thorn. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, what you're going to read later in your own time, because I really want you to go back and study this, okay? That's part of why I, I, I this is probably the shallowest we'll, we'll go in this subject. I, I, I venture to say you'll take it much deeper in your personal time and your small group. So accept my shallow message today and go deeper. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you're going to find in verses 1 through 6 that God is doing some phenomenal things in Paul's life. I mean, it's like off the charts. It really is. 
I mean, it is amazing to read about some of the experiences that Paul is having in his life that God is bringing. And then in verse 7, Paul says this. So to keep me from being conceited. God's doing all this stuff in my life, and so to keep me from... It sounds as if Paul was struggling with pride here. You know, really, I mean, sometimes it's just kind of nice when things are really happening to say, you know, I I actually am a pretty good preacher. (laughs) Oh, preacher, that was a great message. You know, I think so too, yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but at times we can sort of, we can, we, we can, we can feel as if we've kind of got the corner on the market. We're the best church in town. Man, God's here more than anywhere else. And, and so what happens is, uh, and even according to this passage, I, I know I'm reading into it just a little bit, but I think the point is that Paul here, dealing with some pride, says, you know, God, in order to keep me from being conceited, and then he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations A thorn was given to me in the flesh. A thorn. It's an interesting word. A thorn is a splinter, if you will. It's uh, something that's very painful. Anybody anybody ever had a splinter or had a thorn pierce their finger? I mean, Jesus received that crown of thorns. This may sound like not a big deal, but I'm going to tell you, it's a very painful thing that you go through when you get a thorn or a splinter. And he uses this as a symbol of, of, of this which God had allowed into his life. It didn't come from God. It, it was allowed by God because it came from a messenger, he says, of Satan who came to harass him to keep him from becoming conceited. And I believe what God is teaching us here is that God is so much in control that even in our own failure, God can take our thorn that Satan wanted to destroy us with, and God can take that and use it for our good. That's how much God is in control. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul's thorn was, even after I preached the first message and named a few things that I had found in studying what exactly was this thorn. I'm trying to find it out. You know, I'm like, I want to know what it is. I like to let my church know. I wonder what the, uh, what the theologians are saying. What does the concordance say? Good night. I had several other people come up to me after the service and say, oh, I've read this and this and this, and I'm, I've got a list of like 10 things it could be. Some say it was his eyesight. Others say it could have been a sexual problem or some said it was a family relationship I actually read one that said it was epilepsy you know we don't know what it is and I think it's good that we don't because maybe it was the thorn that I've got or maybe it's the one you've got I think it's good that we don't know because we can all just think you know what Paul just had something that like I've got we can all relate to it. We can all understand it because we all have a thorn in our lives, something that God has allowed into our lives to help us to grow and develop and become more like him. So I want to give you some thorns that I believe this is not an exhaustive list, not at all. But these are five just potential thorns, if you will, five potential thorns in the flesh, although there are many, many more. Sometimes they come and go. Sometimes they arrive and never leave. Sometimes they come and go, and then another one comes, and then another one comes, 
and then another one. I mean, it's just all different variations of how these thorns come into our lives. Number one, a painful memory. A thorn. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've experienced rejection in your life. Maybe you've been ridiculed. Maybe you've been abused. And just to be careful this morning, I'll, I'll just say that word, understanding how all that can be spread and how that can be a defined abuse in the life of those that are in this building. And it's a painful memory. And the purpose of the thorn is for you to be able to pray this prayer. God, I cannot forgive without you. God, I cannot forget without you. God wants to bring about in our lives, uh, he wants to bring us to a place of weakness so that we realize how much we need him. A painful memory. Maybe number two, it's a health crisis. A health crisis. A sudden pain. A doctor's appointment. Waiting for the diagnosis. The doctor walks into the room and he looks to you or your family's members and you already know it's not good news. And you hear the news. Or maybe you're still waiting to hear the news. And it's tough. You're not sure how long maybe you even have to live or, or you're not sure what the ramifications are. You're concerned about the side effects of the medicines. Listen, the purpose of that thorn is for you to be able to pray, God, I cannot go through this without you. God, I can't do this. I'm too weak. This is too much, God. I can't go through this without you. That's the purpose of the thorn. It's so that you can pray that. Number three, maybe it's waiting for a good thing. How many people in our church right now are waiting for a good thing? Maybe it's waiting for the reconciliation of a loved one. Maybe it's waiting to conceive a child or waiting to adopt a child or waiting for the salvation of a loved one or waiting possibly for a lifetime partner. I've been single now and I just, I just, I don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm 20, I'm 25, I'm, I'm 30. I, 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 I just don't know when is it going to happen. I'm just waiting. And these are all good things. Nothing in the list is a bad thing. And the the purpose of that thorn, waiting for a good thing, the purpose of that thorn is for you to be able to pray, God, this will never happen without you. This will never happen. All the human effort has fallen by the wayside, and I'm just going to have to wait. I've tried everything, God. I've tried dating apps. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried this procedure. I've tried that procedure. God, I, I don't know what else to try. God, I I just can't do it without you. I'm weak. Number four, a difficult family relationship. A difficult family relationship. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got one of those? Maybe a brother, a sister, a daughter, a son, maybe an in-law, a spouse, God forbid. And the purpose of this thorn is for you to say, God, I cannot love this person without you. I've tried. i got to have your help, God. 
This is a toughie. This is a hard one. I'm, I just can't seem to muster it up. God, I'm doing everything, and I'm just too weak. God, I can't love this person without you. Number five, and there's many more. I'll give you one more. A persistent character flaw. Remember, got one of those. I got a couple of those. A persistent character. I, maybe, maybe it's, I just get angry. I, I got a problem with anger. I hear that one often. Or maybe it's, you know, I just, I'm, I'm a pessimist. I just can't seem to, to see and, 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 and share God's promises. I've all, I just seem to always give the downside of things instead of, I see the glass half, half empty all the time. Or maybe it's just I'm, I'm selfish. I always want my way. Or maybe it's a, some secret sin. And the purpose of that thorn is for you to be able to pray, God, I will never change without your help. I'll never change, God. It's impossible. I've tried everything. God, I'll never change without your help. You see, what God wants to do is use that character flaw. He wants to use it to bring about the very thing that will bring you to a place where you will ultimately have to depend only upon him. God didn't cause these things. But God did allow these things, and God will use it for our good if we stop fighting him. Just stop fighting him and allow him to work. But we don't, often don't allow him to work. And that brings me to the fourth thought. So let's review. Divine presence, God is everywhere. Human pride, sometimes we miss him. Divine provision, a thorn in the flesh. And here is oftentimes our human petition. God, take it away. Just remove it, God. Enough already. God, I can't take it anymore. Just take it away. Look at the the text. And let's stay true to the text. The next thing that Paul says in verse number 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is, three times I pleaded with the Lord. In the Greek, that word plead means to fervently ask, beg. I'm pleading with you, God. I don't want this thorn. I pray that it should leave me. Paul is pleading with God. He is pleading with him. God, I can't deal with this. Reminds me of Christ in the garden praying three times, asking God to take away what he would face on the cross. God didn't take it away. And aren't you glad? Sometimes we just have a hard time seeing how God is going to use this suffering. Because suffering in its many forms is the thing that God uses to build our character and to display his power and to bring us close to himself. Please meditate on that. Meditate on that for just a moment. Suffering in its many forms is the thing that God uses to build our character and to bring and to display his power and to bring us to a place where we are closer to him than we've ever been. God's blessed me with a, a wonderful mother-in-law that I called last night and just kind of interviewed on the phone. I thought about having her come up, but I just wanted to share the testimony for sake of time. I, I'm so blessed. I mean, she's 85 years old and she is uh, still working at the school every day. She walks up here or gets a ride, and Carrie brings her home, and she helps Miss Lydia Vadonage uh, with certain classes and teaching. And, and she, uh, yesterday I asked Lauren Hoffman, who Lauren lives with her. Lauren's a precious teacher at our school, member of our church. I said, Lauren, I said, what are you going to do with the rest of your day? It was about 3 o'clock. She said, I'm just going to go spend it with Miss Yoshida. I mean, by the way, 
you would do good to spend a day with Moshe Yoshida too, trust me. Lisa Perryman's here today. Lisa, I know, has prayed with my mother-in-law every single morning for over 20 years. About 5 o'clock in the morning, they talk and pray and share their deepest burdens and concerns. I know this. This is who she is. God's done a work in her life. We'll be around the house, and this is an indictment on our laziness, I'm sure, but oftentimes after dinner, you know, we're all talking and hanging out and, and just got, you know, kind of messing around, and there she is over the sink washing the dishes, making sure the house is totally taken care of before she quietly slips out and walks back to her little house next to mine. So I called her. I, I, I said, you know, God's convicted me about some of the aged people in our church. I, I don't think we understand how blessed we are to have anyone in our church that's lived a long time and knows the goodness and grace of God. And we young people sometimes, do you like how I said that? We young people? You like that? I'll preach online next week. I'm sorry. God forgive me. But we sort of get caught up in our own lives and we look at our friend group and everybody's under 30. When's the last time you took Raz Pittman out for dinner? When's the last time you picked up Michelle and said, hey, let's go to Cracker Barrel. By the way, she likes Cracker Barrel. All right, enough preach. That, 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 that didn't mean to get off on that. So I called her and I just interviewed her. You know, Mishoshida, as a Japanese person living during World War II, all Japanese people, including Japanese Americans, were placed in these internment camps. These were isolated, really concentration camps. They were incarceration camps. Though you had done nothing wrong, you were incarcerated. And so she lived in this camp for four years. And I just have never heard her complain about it. I've never, in all of my years of knowing this lady, I've never heard her just gripe or complain or use that as some sort of a way to get sympathy or sorrow. It, nothing. And so last night I called her and asked her some questions about it. and I didn't get any complaints. I just knew that was part of her history. By the way, church, there's very few people living anymore that could tell you those stories. Right? So it's, good, it's a good time to talk while she's still alive, right? And we talked, and she, she began to share with me, you know, in, in essence, really, how God had worked in her life and how God is working in her life. And looking back on those days from a Buddhist family, as a Japanese family, a large majority of, or many of her family were Buddhist, especially on her mom's side, all were Buddhist. But there was a Protestant presence there, and, and, and in those camps, she attended a Presbyterian Sunday school. And God used the Presbyterian teacher to introduce her to Jesus and who he was. Although it was later that she got out and began to attend Sunday school more faithfully and come to know the Lord personally as her own Savior, she looks back on that time as some beginnings of Christ moving in her life and speaking to her through those times of suffering. Sometimes the greatest disappointments in life are God's mercies in disguise. My wife and I have dealt with her illness for now probably over 30 years. And there was a period of time when she spent 30 days in the hospital that it was this song that we listened to probably over 2,000 times. Listen to it and think about your thorn, your greatest difficulty the greatest thing going on in your life that you're looking at is God, take it away. You know, I can't listen to that I want song you to reconsider that without remembering after listening to this. You know, a lot of sleepless nights, 
last three weeks have been a little difficult for my wife's health. She's been very sick, and, and we had to go to the hospital even this week for some things. But that illustration and that song today really wasn't for us. We get it. We, we, we're learning. We're still learning. My wife told me the other day, she said, don't worry about all this, honey. Every time I get sick, it's just God preparing you for a greater move of God in the church. This is what God does. And I wonder what God's doing in your life right now to prepare you for a greater move of God in your life. We don't feel like we're some isolated couple that's going through a tough time. We somehow have a feeling that everybody in this room is going through something. Everybody. And if it's suppressed right now, if you're ignoring it, if you're just sort of hiding it, I'm asking you this morning to receive it. It's God's goodness in your life to bring you to a place of greater understanding of him and his love and his power and how he's going to use that. Because God works, I believe, in a way that we don't understand. Sometimes he prevents some things. Sometimes he allows some things. And, but we know this for sure, that we have a God that is so wise and he always does what is best. He's never made a mistake. He's always allowing painful things to come into our lives because he has an incredible purpose for it. And then, number five, divine promise. God's grace is sufficient. I can quickly go through these last thoughts, so listen closely. Look, if you would, please, as, as, as Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me, but here was God's response to Paul's Take it away. Take it away. God's response was, nope. My grace is sufficient. Grace. What is it? Grace is favors that we don't deserve. Favors. Has anybody ever ever had a favor done for them? Has anybody ever done a favor? You know, most of the time when you do someone a favor, it's, it's not because you deserve it. Amen. Many times I've, I've asked my wife, you know, honey, could you grab this? Could you grab my phone? Could you grab my keys? Could you grab this? Could you turn off the lights? You know, I could get out of bed, and, and I probably should. I probably don't deserve her goodness and her grace. If I've been treated her that great that week, and if I've been thinking about that, I just should have turned off the light myself. But her grace in our marriage and her love for me, the many favors that she's done and hopefully favors that I've done for her, my point is simply this, to illustrate grace. It is something we don't deserve, and yet God in his goodness gives it to us. And he says that his grace here is sufficient. It's enough, all the help that we need. He says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. That's an amazing response to Paul saying, take it away. And God saying, no, my grace is sufficient. In fact, my power is going to be made strong in your weakness, Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. He made a decision so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. Church, God knows our thorns. God knows what we need. God provides the strength And that is enough, amen? Enough for what? Enough to get by. Enough to get on top of it. Enough to get the overwhelming victory that Paul got when he said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I can't preach without Christ. I can't, I can't love without Christ. I can't be a husband without Christ. I can't be a, a Christian without Jesus. I, I'll be honest with you. I can't do anything without him. It is through Christ that I can do anything. And this is an admittance to my own weakness and failure. Because God shows up when I'm weak. And then finally, human pleasure. Human pleasure is finding God in our weakness. Notice again in verse 9, he speaks about boasting gladly in his, in, in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. The power of Christ. Finding God in your weakness. Saying, I would not have chosen this for myself. And by the way, I don't have a thorn in my life that I would have chosen. What about you? I, I, there's no way. I mean, if, you're, if, if, if it's up to me, it ain't happening. No, I, I want this much in my bank account. I want my wife to be healthy. I want every kid to be successful. I want every, I, right? I mean, if we're writing the script, it's going to be a whole lot different than it is. So this isn't because that I've chosen it. It's this, God knows what's best. God knows what's best. And that's why he says in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 and verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. I'm good. I'm good with my weaknesses. I'm good with insults. I'm good with hardships. I'm good with persecutions. I'm even good with national calamities. I'm good with whoever's in office. I'm good. Listen, I understand that God is working all things together for good. When I am weak, then he is strong. And I'm strong because of him. And so in closing, I want to give you just quickly how to find God in your weakness. There's three quick things and we're done. Number one, you got to admit your weakness. Admit it. This is an important part of, I think, so many things that we, we just can't get past. We Pride. It, it's just hard to say, I'm wrong. I'm weak. I can't do this. For whatever reason, it's, just, it's that sin nature that, that will keep us from, from God's blessings. And so today, I encourage you, just admit it. Because it is at the moment of admitting your weakness and, that, that your thorn is able to produce that which it was designed for. But it requires you to admit you can't do it. You've got to come to that place. I don't have the power to be a Christian. I need God to do it. Admit your weakness. Admit it consistently, perpetually, every day, all the time, several times a day, constantly, continually. Admit your weakness. It's a beautiful thing. Number two, thank God for your thorn. Thank God for it, yeah. Thank God for your thorn. For what it's accomplishing in your life. Twyla Paris, I don't know how long ago I heard this song. I just got the words to it. She's like an old school contemporary artist, right? In fact, when our church kind of transitioned to listening to different types of music, if anybody knew I listened to Twyla, I'd probably gotten in trouble. We were pretty rigid back then, right? Twyla wrote this song called Thank You for the Thorn. Thank you for this thorn embedded in my flesh. I can feel the mystery. My spirit is made fresh. You are sovereign still and forever wise. I can see the miracle opening my eyes. To a proud heart so quick to judge, laying down crosses and carrying grudges, 
The veil has been torn, and I thank you for this thorn. Thank you for this thorn. Fellowship of pain, teaching me to know you more, never to complain. And if you choose to take it, I will praise you. And thank you for, heal, for the healing in your name. But if it must remain, I thank you for your rod, evidence of father love from a child of God. I join you in sorrow, so much less than you have borne. And I thank you. Really, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this thorn. For what it's accomplishing in my life. And then number three, trust God in it all. Just trust it. Speak out words of faith. God, you got this. I love that old song, through it all. Anybody ever heard this one? Sing it if you know it. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As we come to the conclusion of this first message in a series of messages, I pray that God will take this first thought of weakness and bring you to a place where you'll make it your friend. (laughs) Embrace it. Embrace it as one of the greatest things that God's ever revealed to you. Because when you're weak, you can then be strong. And only because of his strength and only because of what he has done can we experience the power of God. So I pray this morning that if you've never become a Christian, that you'd admit that you're a sinner. Admit it. Admit your weakness. You can't save yourself. You can't. I can't. I can't save you. The baptism waters can't save you. Church attendance can't save you. Only Christ and his atoning sacrifice, his shed blood can save you. Would you look to the cross this morning? If you've never been saved, may I introduce to you the one who can save you and make you a new creature. Maybe you've been saved and this morning you just need to come to a place where you admit you're weak and you embrace your thorn as something that God has allowed in your life for the purpose of using you in a way that you could never imagine. And then finally, church, would you join me in continuing to watch this move of God in our church? And it's not because we're great. It's because we're weak. That's why. It's why we're weak. We're weak. We're weak. I'm weak. I can't do this. God, I can't do this without you. I need you, God. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't see myself ever being where I need to be, God, without you taking me there. Would you bow together with me, your hearts, and maybe your knees if you need to at the altar, whatever. And let's draw near to God so he'll draw near to us. He's here. He's here. But I believe we can desire a greater experience of his nearness. Father, God, I love you. I thank you for my thorn. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. I pray that you would take, Lord, this response time. And, Lord, may we draw close to you as a result of it. We love you. And we give you this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?